Many of the businesses that we work with had an average around 70 to 75 days of cash on hand. The average business in the U.S. has around 8 to 10 days of cash on hand. And the next thing you know, you've been legislated out of business for a period of time. Some people responded with putting their head in their sand, just hoping for the best, crossing their fingers and hope you know, that the world doesn't just kind of end and take them with it. Another response was, hey, Lance, let's ramp up. When the tide is out, that's when you can work on your dock. When the tide's in, it's hard to work on the dock. And so what we realized is, wait a second, when the tide is out, instead of grumbling and moaning and being frustrated and you know, just hitting our head against the wall, why don't we look at that opportunistically and go, now's the time to work on the dock. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. You know, when we think about living on purpose or the quest for purpose, today's guest is my business on purpose. You know, so the same principles exist for personal and the business life. And our guest, Scott Beebe, really shares his insights as a business coach of helping people to go to the next level. And some end of his journey of uh, traveling around uh, the U.S. with his dad, who had, was moved quite a few times, and also uh, being basically let go from an organization and, and said, you know, leave the room here in five minutes and figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life. So with those kinds of insights, uh, really appreciated the energy in the show with Scott uh, today. Now, in our discussions, one of the things that we really focused on is the importance of clarity, but even more so that it needs you what you want to be and who you want to be needs to be written down. So we're just going to recommend, if you already haven't done so, that our e-course, What Do You Really Value? or the Values Preference Indicator, which comes with the course, helps you to, be, to know that you know that you know about your direction. You know, so the question I have for you, what would it mean for you if you could make the right decision every time? Well, that is possible when you know what your core values are and then you make decisions based on it. But if you don't know what they are and you don't haven't written them down, then as we say in the show, if you it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. So uh, use that as a possibility to get clear. And then if there's somebody you know who might need it, then let them know. Now, as always, thank you for being a Secrets of Success listener. If you like what we're doing, pass it on, share it, leave a positive uh, comment uh, subscribe, uh, whatever works for you. If you know of somebody who would be a great guest, let us know. And uh, also, we just thank you for being a loyal Secrets of Success listener. So here's our show today with Scott Beebe. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's guest has the perfect business name because it's my business on purpose. And what is the thing that we do here at CRG is live on purpose. So that's why we're having him on the show, why he's even allowed to talk to us. So Scott, how do you say your last name? Is it BB? That's right. You got it. A rare yeah. first so uh, successful pronunciation. So I need to be thinking about like my air gun when I was a kid shooting pigeons or something. That's exactly and if what it you is. Don't like, if you don't like that talk, well, then I'm sorry. But, well, <laughs> Scott, thanks for kind of coming and hanging out. I know you were just 
busy on another call just before because we're all uh, zooming um, being virtual all those kinds of things at this time so thanks for making the time to kind of hang out with us well Ken putting a podcast together is hard work so I, I, I need to thank you as well for allowing me to be a part of it uh, you're welcome and of course you have your own podcast my business on purpose dot com slash podcast so there you got your first promo in the first couple seconds in the show oh man <laughs> so Scott as we like to do at Secrets of Success we like to kind of get to know our guests in their journey uh, I believe that you're living in the Carolinas now but where was sort of growing up in your sort of history as a teenager and family dynamics there yeah so I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a mutt uh, where it comes to my hometown uh, was born and raised and, and basically lived all of my life here in the U United States but was born in, in the D.C. area, moved down to Charlotte, North Carolina, and then Houston, Texas, Portland, Oregon, uh, so a little bit closer where you're at, your part of the right. world, gorgeous part of the world, up where you're at. So got to visit a couple of times while we lived in Portland. And then, uh, and then landed my final years of high school in Greenville, South Carolina, so back kind of to the southeast. And then from there was a student at the University of South Carolina and then was a theology student in Fort Worth, Texas, and then went on this weird ping pong kind of career uh, smattering where I went, uh, lived in Augusta, Georgia for a while, worked for Pfizer, which is the obvious next landing spot from a theology student. Yeah, of course, <laughs> went, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and then went from Augusta. Sell chemicals and kill people. That's like perfect. <laughs> I'm messing with you. So, I used to, and, and no hate for listeners, I used to work for Monsanto a long, long time ago in the 80s. Okay, so you got so, uh, it. You got I it. got it. I got it. So go yeah. ahead. So then we moved back to Fort Worth. I actually uh, went on staff with a church out there for a few years, and then their sort of strategy, if you will, for the Dallas-Fort Worth area was to plant new churches. So we were sent out to go plant a new church and did that for a few years. Man, that was tough. And then uh, ended up leaving that world again and went back to Pfizer, but this time on the East Coast in the Savannah, Georgia, Hilton Head, South Carolina area and uh, had the privilege of working for Pfizer. But while we were doing that, I uh, was deeply involved uh, in Nigeria and doing some what we call domain work in agriculture and education and business, uh, mm. healthcare within Nigeria. And every year, I basically take my vacation from Pfizer and go uh, over to Nigeria. And so since 2006, in fact, I was just there a few months ago, uh, we've been kind of on a regular drip, usually a couple times a year, uh, to go do that. And so when I finished out Pfizer in 13, the organization that we started going to Nigeria with asked if I would come be their international director. So did that for a couple of years. Then they had kind of an internal board explosion and sort of a casualty of that. And that was on February 27th, 2015. And then uh, three days later, that was a Friday. So on Monday, we officially launched the Business on Purpose platform. So that's kind of led us to where we're we're at what right now. What took you so long to decide once you were let go to start the new business? <laughs> uh, it's amazing when you get pushed into the entrepreneurial pool and don't have so many options. And oh, and you're married and have three, you know, fundamentally teenage kids uh, that you're working really, really hard to provide for. And so, um, yeah, well, we had no time. College, right, Dad? Right, right. Yeah, none of them have ambition. Uh, none of them want to go to college. None of them. Well, now that uh, we've even, discovered we don't need brick and mortar and $250,000 a year to go to college, maybe it might be a little cheaper by next year. Boy, we're navigating those waters literally as, as we speak. 
Well, I have two that just graduated, so we can talk off air about how I'm recovering. Wow. So, and you know what? It was just a blessing. They were just great kids. And so uh, if you can provide and that's the direction they want to go, of course, we want to do it as parents. But I want to dial back a bit, Scott. Uh, why all the travel in the beginning? What did your dad do to drag you around the country? Yeah, so dad's an engineer, and uh, we just kind of followed the work. He's always worked kind of in pulp and paper and uh, large manufacturing, and so we just we followed the work and the promotions around the country. And uh, even after I was out of the house, um, mom and dad ended up moving to Australia for a few years and ran. Uh, what part uh, of Australia? So in Brisbane. Well, the story goes, and people have heard this. Now, I've been happily married for... 28 years good so my wife doesn't listen to the podcast so I'm, I'm okay and but I was married I was engaged to a lady from Brisbane so there you go and just there my, my. Months, okay. well, a couple of years ago so Brisbane now are they still there no they're back in the US now uh, but they lived there for about two three years and just embraced it and enjoyed it and uh, got to see obviously a whole different segment of the world which was great for them Mm. So is there pulp and paper in Brisbane? So it was mining and minerals uh, is what took them out there. Of course, there's lots of that there. Yeah, it's plenty of mining and minerals and really learned a lot about the Australian economy, especially in relation to mining and minerals. It sounded like it was kind of a strip the land and ship it off. Not a lot of processing or secondary work being done with the, with the, with the minerals that were coming out of the ground. And uh, obviously China was a huge customer and recipient of those things. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, they were a part of that. And then of course the economy over there just tanked. And, uh, in the first day dad showed up at the office, basically he had to let a lot of people go. So he was not a huge, uh, uh, there were not a lot of raving fans of my dad. The, the second he came into that office, did you ever go visit him in Australia? We did not have a chance to, it's our one kind of regret from a global engagement perspective. Uh, we were so, uh, intentionally involved in Nigeria. We spent, and it's tough to travel from the U.S. to kind of sub-Saharan Africa and it not completely suck a few days from you every time. And so just timing was never able to work out. Mm -hmm. Of course, Australia is no simple jaunt across the pond itself. Well, even for us, a direct flight from Brisbane to Vancouver, Canada, where I live, is 14 and a half, 15 hours. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't do that leg as well as others. So um, I do it, but man... I just love my own time zone. That's certainly the one thing about virtual meetings now. Uh, recently had meetings where I had Australia, Israel, myself, and Germany on the same call. I said, that's pretty cool. And I didn't have to leave my time zone. So Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> that's good. So what did, what did all this travel do to you as a kid? Did you enjoy it? Was it disruptive? Was it kind of bothersome to make friends and leave them? What kind of sort of the lasting impression for you? Yeah, Ken, I think what it did is kind of defined who I was. I, I didn't even know that it would be a bother. Like, I didn't even know to ask that question or to think that thought. I think I just thought this is, you know, it's how kids grow up. Uh, I assumed everybody kind of grew up this way. And so I don't know that I ever thought about it until somebody asked me a few years ago, like, did you like traveling around? And I thought, well, I guess. I mean, seemed okay. Um, the one nice thing about it is uh, is it it allowed me to be able to adapt to just about any situation I could possibly adapt to, and so that was uh, that was really good. Um, you know, the challenge, the downside is 
man, to dig roots and dig heels into one place is hard. But where we live right now in the low country of South Carolina, we've lived here since 2007. So this is the longest I've ever held uh, kind of a town zip code by, I think, four times in my life, maybe three or four times in my life. Um, and, uh, and so we've been here for quite some time. And, and Ashley, Ashley and I kind of see this as home base uh, for us for as long as we can foresee. Well, it's where the kids are now, and until they're back in college, then you're free to, free to go. So you really sort of just took it in stride as part of it. So then after you finished yeah. um, high school, you said you went to uh, theology school, but did you go to college to take anything else in between there? Uh, no. So I went uh, graduated University of South Carolina in 1997, and then... Uh, what did you take uh, that in was just, that? What's that? What, what, what was your major? Oh yeah, so I was a sport management or sport administration major, um, and and so I, but don't ever think the major. Uh, I went in I think as a business major. Uh, me and my roommate both got a 52 on the accounting exam, first accounting exam we took. We didn't even cheat off of each other. We just happened to get the same grade, and we picked up the exam, gave it back to the professor. We walked straight to the advisor's office. And we asked the advisor, is there a degree program where we don't have to take this class? And they started kind of looking and researching and said, yeah, there's a degree program called sport management. And he and I were both football players at, at university. And we thought, well, yeah, it makes total sense. You, you take remedial accounting. And so we thought, well, that, surely we can pass remedial accounting. And uh, we actually did. Both got A's in that class. And it completely changed our major. So I wish I could tell you that it was this lifetime ambition to be in the sport business. Uh, but not really. Um, it was more so, ah, just didn't want to take accounting. Well, I get it. Well, my son is now a successful realtor at 24, 25 when we're recording this. But he had five majors in his first two years. And his, my wife worked at the university he was at. So uh, it's quite okay. And one of the reasons he eventually ended up where he was is so he didn't have to take stats which he had failed as well. It says, listen, I don't want that course on my major. So uh, you're not the first to, to, to redirect based on what they dislike or want, weren't good right. at. <laughs> so with that, um, you know, when you think about your journey, what are some things you could share with the audience before we get in what you're doing right now um, that would be kind of interesting insights for us about how we should live our life or some considerations? Ken, I've got a lot of thoughts on this, um, and and sometimes I find it hard to drill them down into bits and pieces, but th there's a couple of foundational things for us that I think are really important. One, and this is one of the core values of our business, we have five core values, and one of them is called work is faith. And it's a little bizarre, most of our core values are a little bizarre, but this one is is peculiar to many because they don't not quite sure what to make of it. And so the way we flesh it out is this way. Faith, by definition, if you look it up, is the conviction of something that you cannot see. So whatever, you know, it's not just a religious word. It's literally being convicted of something you can't see and kind of thinking out there and going, wow, could that thing exist? Well, and if I said, Scott, I have faith in you, how do you touch it or feel that? That's right. what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's an intangible, and yet it's something that we want to shoot for. You know, And so when you mm -hmm. tell me that, essentially what you're saying, Ken, is, I believe that you can do what you think you can do. And so, well, I think I can do that thing. And so that's faith. But then we've got to somehow turn that into something. And so the faith becomes a fuel for the work. 
And so if faith is a conviction of something we cannot see, then work is the creation of that thing that does not currently exist. And so if I have, for instance, my son this morning, um, he wanted to create a, uh, a, um, a fishing rod holder for his kayak. And so he had all the faith in the world that he could do that. Materials, capabilities, all those sorts of things. But he's not just going to grin and think and then look up and all of a sudden there's you know, a rod holder. And so what he did is he went to work. And so he created that thing that does not exist. We've all been given the skill set and the gift to do something, to create something. We've all been gifted as creators, even more than consumers, which is a whole other discussion that we can have, especially in our modern context right now. Mm-hmm. We've got to, uh, or at least me, let me speak for myself, I've got to have a mindset of creation over consumption. And with that mindset, that's why our core value is so crucial to us, that work is faith. So we have a conviction of things that we cannot see, but then we go to work to start to create that thing that does not exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because my purpose in life is to help others to live, lead, and work in purpose. So the way you action that is you have a podcast and you have some great guest named Scott and then he helps people (laughs) for them to live on purpose. So, yeah, I get that where you actually, I mean, if you think about it, uh, for all of us, imagination is linked into that because imagination is us thinking about like my vision for my life or I imagine myself losing weight or I imagine being married to that person or I imagine going on that trip. All of these things are, quote-unquote, linked to that word faith. Absolutely. And, and, and again, sometimes we over-religiousize it. It is very much a, spark, a, a part of my spiritual life. There's no doubt about it. I'm not going to deny mm-hmm. that. But I think a lot of times we miss right. the juiciness of the idea, the juiciness of the wor- word, and realize, and we wake up on a Monday and we go, oh, I hate Monday. Man, I love Mondays. Mondays are my favorite day. Mm-hmm. And the reason Mondays are my favorite day is because it's the first day of the week. I get to go to work to create that thing that I've spent all weekend thinking about. And so it's been into my head, and by faith, I'm like, oh, wow, that that would be really cool if that thing came about. Well, now Mm -hmm. today is the time of this recording on a Monday. I get to go to work to create that thing. And so we're creating something right now. We're creating a piece of content, digital content, that other people can, can, uh, can grow and learn from. And hopefully, yeah, consume. And lots of you, millions of you. (laughs) <laughs> just pass on. <laughs> plug, plug. Here we go. So it, right. we said we were going to have fun before we got on the show. So I, I didn't say it wasn't going to be a little quirky along the way. So <laughs> a little that, hyperbole every now and then. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For uh, so Scott, when we think about um, a couple other items, you know, before we get into your current work, uh, what uh, you know, what other um, items beyond work as faith would you want to share with the audience? You know, we've got another core value. i just kind of stick with our core values. And one of our core values is work on the dock while the tide is out. Work on the dock while the tide is out. So, it, it, we, again, as I mentioned earlier, we live in the low country of South Carolina. So you can just look it up. And we live, I'm literally looking out the window right now, and the tide is in. We live on this little tidal creek, which means, uh, and where we live, we'll get about a 7 to a 10-foot tidal swing every six hours Mm. Uh, 12 minutes and 30 seconds. And so right now the water's up. So I can see water out there and give it another four hours or so and it will be complete mud. And what's been really interesting, think about this in the context of the COVID pandemic. And so if we go back 
and to the start of kind of the, the COVID coronavirus pandemic, and it's just completely racked from an economic perspective. Many of the businesses uh, and industries that we work with, now many of our business owners, so grateful, have put in the work that we've coached them to put in, and many of the businesses that we work with had an average around 70 to 75 days of cash on hand. The average business in the U.S., I'm not sure what it is in Canada, but the average business in the U.S. has around 8 to 10 days of cash on hand. Mm -hmm. And so here we go, and the next thing you know, you've been legislated out of business uh, for a period of time. And through that, there's one of a couple of responses that you could respond with. And some people responded with putting their head in their sand, just hoping for the best, crossing their fingers, and hope you know, that the world doesn't just kind of end and take them with it. Another response was, hey, Lance, let's ramp up. Like, let's put in, let's put our head down and let's ramp up. And here in the low country of South Carolina, when the tide is out, that's when you can work on your dock. When the tide's in, it's hard to work on the dock. And so what we realized is, wait a second, when the tide is out, instead of grumbling and moaning and being frustrated and, you know, just hitting our head against the wall, why don't we look at that opportunistically and go, now's the time to work on the dock. Can we have seen in the midst of the COVID corona crisis, we have seen more innovation. We've seen more doubling down on things like marketing. I want you to think about that because typically in an economic downturn, one of the first line items to go is marketing. And in this case, what we've seen are business owners who are doubling down on their marketing. They're reinvesting in their marketing. They're reinvesting in themselves and because of it, they're already starting to see some of the growth that's coming out of that. And so that's been real crucial for us to take this concept of work on the dock while the tide is out. But not only that, keep working on it even when it comes back in. Mm. Well, I, many, many years ago, I personally met Michael Gerber when his book came out in the 90s. So, you know, the old wow. part about working on your business versus in it. But yours is timing about this too. So interesting here at CRG we took this time to uh, complete some projects that were just delayed over the weeks and months prior to. We said, well, okay, we're going to go all in. So we finally finished our new site. We're building out new online courses and said, hey, this is a great time to be able to focus on that. So I, I get that. So we're fixing it or putting it together or interview somebody like Scott on a podcast. So after when we're going down your core values, let's just make that, let's just continue down that process or that system. So what's next on your values list? Yeah, so one of our others is write it down. Write it down. It's a great statement. I don't even know who said it. Said if you don't write it down, it doesn't exist. If you don't write it down, it doesn't exist. That's and my quote, seen that. by the way. <laughs> Give that to you. You must have got it That's for me. I'll, I'll take credit for it. No. Yeah, if it's not, if it's, I mean, I imagine if you went to the IRS or CRA here, said, well, no, my accounting statement is in my head. Yeah, like yeah. that would go really well, wouldn't it? Yeah, T take it a step further and let's go to the world's great religions. Is there any of the world's great religions that exist that does not have some form of written word in terms of a manual, a Bible, a book, of, you know, a manifesto, a whatever? All the world's great um, following entities, M may they be uh, political entities, governmental entities, whatever. When you go back, you think about the document. You think about the mm -hmm. document. 
And, and so the written word is an incredibly powerful, I mean, it was a reformation in, in the middle centuries just because of the written word. And so now let's fast forward another, you know, 500 years or so after the printing press was ubiquitous. And now we've got this digital printing press that has come out and you look at the explosion of ideology and what's been happening in, in, in just in and around our world, even in the last three to six months let alone the last 30 to 40 years. And a lot of that's due to the written word. But the reason we prioritize the written word is because uh, so many times in business, here's what happens. Let's go back to Gerber. I mean, he's the foundational guy. If you've not read E-Myth and you're a business owner, like that's your first purchase uh, before you get uh, certainly my book, but, but maybe even before you get one of Ken's books, then mm-hmm. go get E-Myth because what that book does is it brings this incredible awareness to go, oh my gosh, Houston, we've got a problem. Um, and then once you've got that awareness, then you can start to solve the awareness or you can start to solve the problem. But the only way you solve the problem repetitiously, and that's what's important, is solving the problem once is not, not as hard, but solving the problem with great repetition and to the delegation of others requires mm-hmm. that it be written down. Mike Michalowicz would put it this way. Whatever it is you're about to do, capture it. Capture it. could be written word. It could be uh, video recording, whatever capture it like it's the last time you'll ever do it. Mm, mm. Well, I remember um, writing one of my first articles on purpose, and I said, why don't you write your autobiography as part of your funeral and say, okay, Mm. (laughs) assuming this is the last time you get to write it, so what does this look like? So excellent. Now, what has your sort of research or experience been, Scott, as far as just the impact of writing it down. What, what does it really, really do for us? So I, I could go story after story after story on this, but let, let, me, let me give you the most, uh, it may be the most impactful story so far, and this just happened a couple of days ago. So we're up at uh, a lake house with my parents. Our whole family's up there. We're hanging out, and my phone's inside. I'm not paying any attention and then I show, I, I probably midday, I go and uh, a, a, a dear friend of mine who I've known, he, we were college roommates, and he just happens to be one of our clients. Well, I make him write everything down whenever we meet. He hates it. He and I are, are, are very different when it comes to that stuff. And he hates it, but he does it because he trusts the process. And so they have been writing things down and writing things down and writing things down. Over the past five years, we've been coaching he and his business. And Ken, he, he had a guy who called him, and it was another business owner who had heard about the transformation that had happened in their business. In the last five years, they've gone from one location to five. They've grown in bottom line profitability. I don't want to give away a lot of the percentage numbers, not just because yeah. it's private information, but they've grown. And so this particular business owner who's in a trade business, a, a, a services trade, uh, who's got about four or five rigs on the road, called this business owner and said, hey, I heard heard you're getting coached and all this other kind of stuff. And he just happened to record it. He he pressed record uh, and I guess was talking on another phone or something. He's got the entire conversation about 19 minutes recorded. And Ken, it sounds like I'm talking. uh, It's almost word for word what I would say if a business owner called me directly. And this is a client of mine. He's not even a salesperson for us. 
This is a client of ours. Oh, he is a salesperson is, for you, but he doesn't. Well, absolutely. He's not, a, he's not on staff. Let me, put, <laughs> let me put it that way. He's not on staff. And the reality is, is when we write things down, here's a, a couple of things that it does. Number one, it forces us to repeat it over and over and over again. We ran a, a, a virtual live event that we typically do live in person, but obviously due to the nature of our um, current realities, we had to run it virtually. And one of our newest team members, we ended up writing the script, both uh, uh, pre-event, because we had him MC the event, pre-event, post-event, wrote the script of everything that he could read. The feedback we got on him, they're like, oh my gosh, Thomas did an incredible job. Well, what they don't know is that that whole thing was scripted out, so it allowed him to be him. He didn't have to think about all the other stuff. It allowed him to be him. But while he's talking the script, Ken, it's reinforcing all of those concepts. And the other value in me writing the script is it reinforces the concepts in my own mind, mission, values, all the things we talk about all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm constantly loading things up. And so a lot of times when you hear me on video or on a podcast, you're going to hear me say, we liberate business owners from the chaos of working their business. That's our mission. It's on repeat all the time. And you would not imagine the number of business owners in town or out of town who have heard us and they'll go, you know, Scott, that chaos you talk about all the time. I need to be free from that. And so all of a sudden they're speaking our language just because we took the time to write it down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I couldn't agree more as a coach or person working with others. And then there's also a neuro neurology factor that when you write it down, it becomes more real for you as well. And all the research on that is clear. So what's the next uh, value on the list? So this is one of our favorite ones. You, you like to have a lot of fun. We like to have a lot of fun. Big wins. We actually got this from uh, Dan Sullivan from Strategic Coach. B-I-G, beginning gratitude. So we literally start every single one of our team meetings, every one of our coaching engagements, Everything we do with big wins, it doesn't matter how big the group, we've got an architect's call that will usually have 20 to 30 architects on it. And even then, we won't go around to each person, but in the chat window, that's a virtual meeting. We'll have everybody write out a big win. It can be business. It can be uh, personal. But what's really neat about it, Ken, is when we talk about these big wins, all of a sudden it kind of connects us. Because inevitably, one of my personal big wins, I'll give you one from this weekend, is our family of five got to go up to my parents' house, and we took the boat, my dad's boat, up to this rock. It's about 20, 25 feet high. And all, uh, all three of my kids and myself jumped off the rock together, me and my daughter, a couple of times. My son did a backflip off of it. And it was just amazing uh, to do it. And it's really special for us because my daughter is in college. Well, she's supposed to be. <laughs> she got quarantined, yeah, as they all did, uh, for a period of time. But she'll be heading back here in the next couple of months. And, and, and we only have about 10 months left with our son at home before he heads out to university as well. And so even me just telling you that, because it's a big win, it allowed me to open up a, about my family. And now you know a little bit more about me. And so some mm -hmm. of the conversation that we can have. And so we love that core value of big wins, and we're pretty obsessed with it. Well, all the research is clear about um, the linkage to success in life and being and having a thankful spirit. But what you're talking about is be more intentional with that. Make sure that that, like you Absolutely, said, we don't yes. start a meeting without yeah. it. Otherwise, you can just kind of get the urgency addiction, can't you? And, and, it, and it's the intentionality about all things too, Kent. It's the intentionality for me on this podcast to say we liberate business owners from chaos. 
That's intentional. It's intentionality for me. You know, we, we, th there's a lot of chatter about core values. And core values is about 2% of what we do when we work with a business owner. But the intentionality to keep bringing them up over and over and over again. The intentionality every Tuesday morning, 8 o'clock Eastern time, our BOP team gets together. And there's sometimes you're just like, oh, I don't want to do this. Or we don't really have anything new to talk about or whatever. But we do it anyway. It's the intentionality of starting every meeting out with big wins. The intentionality of setting homework and starting the coaching engagement after big wins with the accountability from last week. All those things are intentional. They are highly repetitive. But as my first ever manager, Skip Clarkson at Pfizer, used to always tell me, Scott, and he would always say this three times, Ken, Scott, repetition is the mother of all learning. Repetition is the mother of all learning. Repetition mm. is the mother of all learning. Of course, you start to smirk and grin, and, but you got the point. Well, it's interesting. I just had interviewed um, an in a chief learning officer of a large organization that teaches other how to teach others. And, you know, one of her comments was, of course, is that learning takes time. This idea that you go to a 15-minute online session and you've got it. Guess what? you got to do it again and again yeah. and again. And to expect you to get it straight away, uh, obviously, repetition. Hey, Ken, I, I want to – so I, I read a story in a book actually yesterday. It's so funny you bring this up. And it's a story about uh, – it's actually in a, in a kind of a documentary or a movie um, called 180 Degrees South, I think. It's with Yvonne Chouinard, the uh, guy who founded um, Patagonia. And then also uh, his buddy, the guy who founded North Face, I forget his name. But basically they're talking about the six-month journey that they went on. And it's a kind of a climbing journey that they went on together. And it, it is a fascinating layout of what they said. Um, in, 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 in this 180-degree six-month climb, here's what they, they said in response and what's in the actual movie. They said taking a, a wilderness trip for six months, you get into the rhythm of it. It feels like you can just go on forever doing that. Climbing Everest is the ultimate and the opposite of that. So think about that. You've got two trips. One is a wilderness trip for six months. The other is climbing Everest. And here's why he says climbing Everest is different. Because you have all of these high-powered plastic surgeons and CEOs. No offense to the plastic surgeons, by the way. Mm. He said they pay 80000 bucks, and they have Sherpas put up all these ladders and 8,000 feet of fixed rope. You get to camp, and you don't even have to lay out your sleeping bag. It's already laid out with a little chocolate mint on top of it. The whole purpose of climbing something like Everest is to affect some sort of spiritual and physical gain. But if you compromise the process, and that's exactly what you're talking about, if you compromise the process, <laughs> I'll make the language a little less colorful, you're a hind in when you start out, and you're a hind in when you get back. And so that's something that we've got to reconsider with, uh, we've got an article that we've written, it'll be on our website soon, and it's called the, the Four Common Problems with Business Coaching. And the very first problem that we talk about is this idea of 10xing your business. Now, if you're making $5,000 a year and you 10x your business to 50, fine, no problem. But if you're making $500,000 a year in revenue and you 10x within a year to 5 million, we've got problems. Like we've got big problems at that point if you're not ready for scale. Now, it's different if you've got VC money. There's a lot of situations, but the average business owner, 
I would call it 80% of the business owners that would be listening to this podcast. If you went from 500,000 in revenue to 5 million overnight, there's going to be a problem. And so this idea of skipping, what in humanity, what in natural science, 10Xs overnight? Hardly anything. And if anything, it's weeds, and those are worthless. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that the Chinese bamboo tree can grow like nearly a foot a week or even more, but it spends five years putting its roots down. That's exactly so, right. Uh, so it didn't really grow overnight. <laughs> Scale came because I spent five years putting the systems in place so I could. So um, yeah, perfect, perfect example. Now, I want to digress for a minute and say you had this position, and then, uh, you know, unfortunately, due to a leadership change, all of a sudden you didn't have that position. What was that sort of emotional moment like when you found out, okay, no job today, and you said, well, you literally opened up your business within a week, but... What did you kind of, what was kind of the, what did you go through that would be helpful to the audience to think about? Um, I, I think if I had to articulate it, Ken, it would just be numbness. It was just a numbness. There was a, a board member who's so just generous and kind and thoughtful, and he's a, a commercial real estate um, guy out in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and he's been out there, and he's been, he, he was just, he's just such, such a sincere guy. And he, he felt it. I mean, he was one of the eight board members who had to resign on the spot because of the one. And he felt it. He saw it. And he was so patient with me. So that happened at noon on a Friday. And from 9 a.m. to noon on a Friday, that whole process went through. And I walked out of that office with about three inches of snow on the ground. You can look back. February 27, 2015 had just started snowing in the, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area at 9 o'clock. And uh, walked out. No, about two and Dallas, those two don't go together. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I mean, it was crazy all the way around. And so, anyway, this kind, now former board member, took me to uh, one of the local Mexican food places. And we sat down, and they were actually about to close because of the snow. And we sat down, and we just kind of talked. And honestly, we just laughed. We just kind of laughed. And, and part of it was just the numbness of it all. And then uh, he was kind. He took me to the Dallas-Fort Worth airport because I had a flight back home that night. So I got on the flight and I remember just that, that, that kind of small regional jet from Dallas to Savannah. And then I remember getting in the car and I was in the Xterra. It was my old Nissan Xterra and I was driving from the Savannah airport home. It was about one o'clock in the morning. And I just remember coming over the Savannah river bridge and it was dark and there's a little railroad uh, man, I'm just now thinking of this now. There's a re- little railroad bridge off to the, uh, I guess it would be the east side of that bridge. It's one little light on that, on that railroad bridge. And I just remember how, how, uh, having this thought of just how lonely that light was. That one little light right there in the middle of the river suspended on this railroad bridge. And just went home. And I wasn't lonely in that my family wasn't cheering me on. Of course they were. Uh, but they were asleep that night. And so when I just got to the house, it was quiet just ended up going to bed. It was just a really numb, kind of uh, just a real flaccid moment uh, for that entire rest of the day. But I do remember waking up that following Monday and going, let's get started. Like, let's roll. And I just had this ambition and this drive to go, let's do this. For as much as I can see, I need some help. That's why I hired Aaron Walker to help me see. It's just great phrase. And this may end up being one of our 
core values down the road, but eyes to see and ears to hear. And so we'll hear that and go, of course. I mean, you want to have eyes to see and ears to hear. That's what eyes and ears do. And it's like, no, 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 no. I want to have eyes to see. I want to see. I don't want to see what everybody else sees. I want to see behind it. I don't want to hear what everybody else hears. I want to hear behind it. Mm. And so during that time, I just felt like I woke up that next Monday and I could see things that I just couldn't see and I could hear things that I couldn't hear. And I'll never forget uh, Dan Miller. I was talking with Dan a little bit while Aaron was coaching me as well. And, and, uh, and Dan said, man, there's plenty of business out here for what you're doing. And at the time, I was like, man, you're, you're out of your mind, man. I'm going to, you know, whatever. And sure enough, within about six months, I fundamentally had about all the coaching that I could handle in terms of one kind of what one guy could do. Yeah, it's probably nine months, to be fair. And, uh, and there were some coming on and some going off, and so I was still doing work to do all that. But, uh, man, and here we are five and a half, six years later, and a lot of the guys that I started with uh, almost six years ago, we're still coaching them today. And it's been fun to watch one business go from one location to five locations and another business go from, you know, 14 million in revenue to projected 30 this year. And they're not just in residential, but they're doing residential and commercial. And, and then seeing these other businesses go from just kind of slogging away to really grind, just seeing all of that. And you start to realize that, wow, we've been given eyes to really see and ears to really hear. Mm. <clears throat> and, you know, it's interesting when I, um, got into this industry. This is my 30, 32nd year. Yeah. Something like that. But wow. when I first started in 1989 with the national speakers association, I got introduced to a coach. Well, he wasn't really a coach because there was coaching wasn't a thing back then, but I <laughs> hired him in 1990 to help him to get clear about my direction. And you know, the wow. book that I showed you before we started, which is the quest for purpose in uh, for, you know, a personal uh, process was really his work that I've continued from there. So you think about that legacy, you know, over th <clears throat> three decades later, <clears throat> that having somebody help you is not a negative, it's a positive. It's, yeah. it's, you know, what would you say to individuals? So not necessarily business coach or whatever, but what would you say? We only have about 10 minutes left and then we're going to wrap up. But what would you say to an individual out there who's really been hesitating in getting an advisor or a coach or somebody to come alongside them because, well, I don't know, maybe it makes me feel weak or I don't know if it's worth it or whatever. What would you say to people that are thinking about that world? Yeah, I, I think I would say this, and, and I really mean this sincerely, but you are in violent, violent disagreement with the smartest men and women of history and the most talented men and women of history. Bill Gates said it very clear, got on stage at, I think, a TED, or a TED event and said, everybody needs a coach. Now, he was talking in the context of teachers, but he talked about teachers as coaches. He said, everybody needs a coach. Eric Schmidt of Google, former chairman, maybe still part of the board of Google, was asked, I can't remember what network it was on, but said, if you could go back and do anything again, what would you do? And he said, I would hire a coach. And if you go and think of the greats, right, the greats, the Michael Jordans and the Lionel Messis and, you know, all these incredible, the Wayne Gretzky's, I'll throw a little Canadian reference there for you. Yeah, for sure. All these, <laughs> these greats, what do they all have in common? They, they were coached until they retired all the way through. 
not just in Little League, not just in, in, in the university systems, not just in the early part of their professional careers, but they were coached. And in a lot of cases, you take these golfers, some of these golfers have, have three and four and five coaches, mindset coaches, swing coaches, physical fitness coaches, and all these things. So if you're hesitant to get a coach, that's okay. I'm not upset with you. Just know that you're in complete disagreement with the most talented men and women who have really, really transformed, not just society, but just even transformed their homes. Well, as a certified coach, I mean, some of these, you know, first of all, it's an honor to be in that profession and people let you into their emotion and their life. So we have to take that seriously. There are some people who are not as good coaches as others. So there is that consideration as well, Scott. So not every experience has been stellar, but that being said, um, you know, before we get into your final bits of wisdom in that, uh, is there a one or two reasons that seem to come up on why people haven't made that step that, that your, your business owners have sort of shared with you? So this is what took me so long to decide to work with you or to work with somebody. Yeah. So the, the top questions we get, which give insight into the hesitations that people have, and the number one question is how much does it cost? And so what we did is we just wrote a 10-page article on how much business coaching cost. And at the time of this recording, we, uh, we haven't put it up on our website yet. We're getting it proofed, and we just want to make sure it's, it's, uh, it's sound and it's right. But walking through and, and coaches being honest and upfront to say, hey, this is how much it is. Uh, and the, the real answer is it depends. But even having the willingness to go, but here's what it depends on. And based on those factors, here's what it would be. So I think a lot of people just don't know. You know, we kind of know how much a hamburger at McDonald's is. We kind of know how much a hamburger at some high-end restaurant is. But we don't know how much business coaching is. Because there's some people that promise us a 10x return for 37 bucks for a one-time program. And then there's other people that promise us a 10x return for $150,000 engagement. And so we, we don't, and we all call it business coaching. And then there's others that they start to look for a business coach. And Ken, this is what I've found more often than not. What, they, what they're finding is not a business coach, it's a marketing coach or a sales coach. It's some sort of strategic coach, which are, uh, by the way, are worth their weight in gold if they're good at what they do. But the reality is there's a lot of business owners who just need a business coach. They need somebody to walk them through the vision, the mission, the values, and then sit down and articulate and write down the systems and the processes, synergize all of it into a dashboard, and then hold their rear ends accountable to make sure that they show up on a Monday and do it, show up on a Tuesday and do it, show up on a Wednesday mm-hmm. and do it. Man, there's a lot of repetition in the life of a business owner. I wake up every Monday and I have a Monday checklist every freaking Monday. It's the same checklist. And so there's a lot of repetition there, but we think that it should all be new and fresh and all this, where a lot of business ownership is not that. And it's the mm-hmm. same way with key leaders and team members is, yeah, there's, there's some new fresh stuff, but the reality is the ones who really, really, really make impact long-term are the ones who they get base hits over and over. They're kind of boring, actually. Well, I watched that movie with Brad Pitt. <laughs> so they're doing calculations and say it's not always just the home run. It's just, Yeah, Moneyball. Uh, RB, called RBIs uh, constantly as you go forward. Now, uh, before we get into some of your last comments, how can people find out about you, Scott? Oh, Ken, thanks for asking. So if you head to mybusinessonpurpose.com, 
uh, man, we have loaded our website with tools and opportunities and stories, true stories. We've got our podcast. Everything is there. So if you just go to mybusinessonpurpose.com, there's a place uh, for any either business owner or key leader uh, that has it in their mind to want to live out their business on purpose. You mentioned that you have a gift here for the listeners, kind of a hidden URL, I'm not sure, slash vision. What, what is that that they're going to get? Yeah, so if you go to mybusinessonpurpose.com forward slash vision, we don't share it too much, and the reason is because it requires a lot of work. So we put in the sweat on our end, and we all we ask is that if a business owner downloads it, that they're willing to put in the sweat on their end. And it's about a 20-minute uh, video tutorial that will walk you through step-by-step how to write down is this great line. Can you love this? It says, write the vision down so that those who read it may run. Write the vision down so that those who read it may run. That wasn't Jim Collins. It wasn't Peter Drucker. It was a guy, it was a, uh, it was a, it was a Jewish prophet from about 3,000 years ago who said that. Write the vision down, uh, or who heard that and recorded it. Write the vision down so that those who read it may run. And so we want to articulate that. And so we've got our 20-minute tutorial. It's the exact same tutorial that we take every one of our clients through. And then we've unlocked the template to go along with it because there's seven sections that you need to have in order to lay out a compelling and articulated vision story that will not only compel you for the destination of your business down the road, 18 to 36 months, but will also allow you to share with other people so that they can make a decision. Do they want to run with you or not? Because one of the most generous things we can do is tell people where we're going, and they can decide whether or not they want to go with us. For sure. So thank you for that, Scott. So if, as we wrap up, what would be the last couple of pieces of wisdom? And even if we were to take it outside of the context of just business owners, because there's listeners here who are not, uh, what would be your uh, sort of pieces of wisdom that you want to share with the listeners before we depart today? I hate to make it sound so repetitious, but I'll go back to what I just said about vision. Write the vision down so that those who read it may run. It's not just in business, but also for your home. So we actually have a family vision that our family has written down together in different categories. And so we've got an idea, not only for Ashley and I, for our marriage, also for our three kids, uh, for our finances, uh, for our geographical locations, for the type of freedom that we're looking to have. We've written all of that down, and we revisit it uh, about two to three times a year. We should go back, we'll sit down, usually over breakfast, and we'll just kind of walk back through it and go, is this still what we're gunning for? Is this still where we would like to go? Mm. And so writing a vision down, not just for a business as an owner or even your segment of the business as a key leader, but also as a member of a family, whether it's just you and you're the family of one or you've got a family of two or five or eight, whatever it is, do you have that written down? Because if you don't have it written down, it's aimless. By definition, it's aimless. Yeah, it's in your head, but what if I said, well, the founders of the United States of America had, had the U.S. kind of written in their head. Do you think it would come to fruition? Absolutely not. We have to write those things down, and once we do, there's something weird that happens, and they just start to kind of force us to head that direction. Mm, mm. Well, Scott, thank you very much. I can't believe we're out of time already. Probably have to have you back just so we can uh, get into some more detail of some possibilities in those different areas. So thanks, uh, Scott, for, and BB, which is amazing because I'm thinking about BB Gun. is um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for hanging out with us today. 
Ken, thank you again so much. You put in a lot of hard work for this, and I'm really, really grateful that you'd allow me to share the platform with you. So thank you as well. Well, Aaron said you were awesome, so I've I just had faith <laughs> in his work. Oh, that's too kind. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, stay with us, Scott. So, Secrets of Success listeners, you know, when you think about it, that's long-term wisdom that Scott's talking about is that if it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. We've been saying this for a long time, but all parts of your life, if it's your personal vision, if it's your family vision, if it's your business vision, and do you really, really know where you're going? Yes, it takes work. Yes, there's some effort. But what does it cost you when you don't do it? Thank you, as always, for being a listener uh, to Secrets of Success. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on. Let other people know. By the way, Scott's address, again, is mybusinessonpurpose.com if you want to find out more. And uh, if you like what we're doing, you know, leave a positive comment or a review on whatever platform you're on. Or let us know about a guest that would just rock it, just like Scott did. So thank you uh, for listening. And we'll see you, or maybe you'll hear us, I guess, next time. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.